Act 9 Simon, the Shy Chapter 1 A Blessing in Disguise Six Years Ago The Crown Prince of Muni quietly tiptoed into the castle's kitchen to grab a few more essentials for his trip. He grabbed a spoon, a napkin, and a jar of strawberry jam and gingerly tucked them into his picnic basket before heading out. On his way, he could hear that his parents were still in the middle of another argument. Choosing to ignore them, he adjusted the strap on his lute and made his way out of the castle and headed towards the forest next to Dragontown. There, he found a thirty-day-old pumpkin he had planted. Indexia had taught the young prince that music could help plants grow healthier, and so the boy would periodically visit the pumpkin to water it and play a few songs with his lute. Simon set up his picnic fixings in front of the pumpkin, removed the lute from his back, and struck a few chords before singing. A little orange orb, full of ripe seeds. How many tasty things can we make of thee? Yummy pie, or hearty gourdish stew? A little curry dish, or a sweetling bread? All these recipes, sweet and savories I can see in my head. Little orange ball on a green vine, how many tasty things we can make of thee? Simon finished his song and leaned forward to observe the pumpkin. A new leaf bloomed from the vine much to the prince's delight. It worked! He cheered. Suddenly, a broadsword fell from the sky and pierced the picnic blanket right behind him. Simon jumped to his feet in shock, his heart racing like never before. Shortly afterwards, he heard a distraught shriek coming from behind the brush. Curious, he peeked through the leaves and saw an ebony-skinned girl with blue hair around his age scanning the area with fervor. Normally, Simon would have avoided trying to get her attention, but he soon realized that she must have been looking for the sword and felt compelled to return it to her. Where is it? Where is it? She cried to herself as she desperately searched the bushes for her sword. Oh, daddy's gonna kill me! Where is it? The girl eventually fell to her knees, crying in fear of her father's wrath. Just then, she heard someone softly clear their throat and looked up to see a boy with pink hair holding the sword out towards her. You found it! Thank you! Thank you, thank you, thank you so much! She happily jumped to her feet, sheathed the sword in her scabbard, and immediately grabbed the boy in a firm hug. Hey, I know you! You're that cute prince from the Dragonfly Castle! That's so cool! My name's Evangeline McSire! Can you do magic? Can you show me? What's it like having a demon for a mom? What's the king like? Do you have any brothers or sisters? What are you doing all the way out here? Simon was overwhelmed by this girl's enthusiasm. Regardless, he managed to answer her last question by motioning towards the picnic blanket, silently inviting her to join him. Once Evangeline took a seat on the blanket, Simon set a plate with scones down in front of her, and uncapped the jar of strawberry jam. Over the next two hours, the two enjoyed each other's company with strawberry jam scones and Simon's lute playing. Although the prince didn't say much, Evangeline didn't mind, she was content to do all the talking herself. In fact, the young girl practically opened her very soul to the boy, telling him about her dream of one day becoming a Solarian warrior like her father so that she could protect everyone she loved. Eventually, the sun set and they both had to head home for the night. Hey, would it be okay if I swung by next week? 
You know, when you come back to check on your pumpkin? Simon nodded happily. You'll be here? Same time? You promise? Cross your heart? The prince crossed his finger over his heart, silently promising to return in one week's time. You know, you don't talk much, Evangeline said bluntly. Simon blushed in embarrassment before his new friend smiled at him. I like you. Simon watched as the blue-haired girl made her way back into Dragontown. Present day. Simon had just returned from St. Olaf's Academy for Wayward Princes, and his father still hadn't given him the magic scepter. Despite that, Indexia continued to teach the prince the art of crafting potions. The boy studied his father's chapter in the Great Book of Magic and eventually came upon his love spell. While at first, he was disturbed at the idea of using magic to force someone to fall in love even if it was used on oneself it also inspired him to create a safer alternative. He had been crafting a potion that, once someone drank it, would lead them to their one true love. Indexia was kind enough to craft him a new collection of elixir bottles and his siblings offered to gather the needed ingredients while Simon set up the table. At last, his brothers and sister entered his room. Here's your bottle of fresh pig goat milk. Thank you, Nogad. Simon graciously accepted the bottle and carefully poured three tablespoons into the elixir bottle and lit the burner beneath it. Here's the cinnamon and honey. Thanks, Siltstam. Simon flashed a smile as he spoke demon tongue for his brother before adding a pinch of the spices and a few drops of honey to the concoction. And one apple. Thanks, Lazaza. Simon grabbed a knife from his desk drawer and peeled the skin off the fruit to mix it with the rest of his potion. He then proceeded to speak the incantation as the heat from the burner made the ingredients melt together until it was pure liquid. My love, my love, I see your heart. When you see mine, our love shall start. My love, my love, I know your heart. When you know mine, we shall never part. By his calculations, once he drank this potion, a red thread that only he could see would wrap around his ring finger and lead him to his soul mate. But as he continued to wave his hands around the boiling potion, his siblings kept pestering him. What did you need that stuff for? Lazaza asked, wrapping her arm around her brother's leg. Just something. Simon shrugged. Something like what? All three of Nogad's eyes dilated at sight of the flame. Something super important that I can't talk about right now. The prince snapped gently. Don't you guys have to get ready for your trip with mom? At the mere mention of it, the trio of half-bloods raced out of their eldest brother's room to pack for their trip to the underworld. Once the potion was finished, Simon turned off the flame and let it cool. Licking his lips, he lifted the bottle up and drank every last drop. As he'd hoped a red thread appeared on his left ring finger, leading out the door. It worked! He cheered and proceeded. To follow the red string that only he could see, desperate to find whoever was on the other end before the potion wore off. Meanwhile, in the Solarian training camps, Evangeline McSire and her sister, Crystal, were in the middle of their entrance exams for the Royal Army of Muni. Ever since the death of Alphys the Worthy, Milo rarely allowed women to enter the military, but the general was impressed by both of their skill with the sword. Presently, 
Crystal was sparring with Jacob of the Musty Mountains while her younger sister dueled with Libris, a third-generation Solarian. Not bad! Libris grinned as his sword clashed with Evangeline's. You fight almost as well as a man. Evangeline gave a cheeky grin of her own in response. That's funny. I was about to say the same thing about you. Libris frowned. That's a little below the belt, don't you think? No. This is. With a painful crunch, Evangeline delivered a powerful kick to her friend's nether regions, forcing him to his knees. Ha 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 ha! Maybe you should try to fight like a woman. McSire! A booming voice scolded. Evangeline sheathed her sword and saluted General Milo Loveberry. Do you think this is funny? No, sir. McSire, you are one of the strongest warriors I've had the pleasure of training, but I can assure you that no human has ever been strong enough to defeat a monster with a kick to the balls. Why, yes, sir, Evangeline stammered. Hit the showers, Milo ordered. Maybe you'll have your act cleaned up by tomorrow. Yes, sir, she sighed sadly. Crystal had just finished her sparring session and spotted her sister heading towards the locker room. Hey, baby sister, did you whip Libra's ass early? Evangeline angrily struck one of the lockers, making a noticeable dent. A uh, bad day? Loveberry thinks I don't take this seriously. Evangeline pulled her shirt off as she turned on the hot water. Every man in this army either thinks I'm too weak or that I'm just a piece of meat. And now, Loveberry thinks I'm just a joke. As Evangeline continued undressing, Crystal tapped on her shoulder and pointed to the left. Hey, here comes something to cheer you up, pink-haired cutie at three o'clock. Evangeline looked over her shoulder and shrieked in embarrassment. Simon was headed their way and she was stark naked. Thinking quickly, she grabbed a towel from the nearest shelf and wrapped it around herself. Oh, hi, Simon. She chuckled, nervously leaning against the wall. What brings you here? However, her smile faded as the shy prince stared at her hand with wide eyes. Uh, Simon? You okay? Huh? Oh, stump. Simon looked away from her hand and seemed to just notice that she was half-naked. Turning away with a blush bright enough to hide his cheek marks, he managed to speak. Evangeline, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to dash. I would never have tried to dash. I mean, you're very beautiful, but I didn't dash. Hey, Simon? Evangeline spoke up, silencing her stammering friend. Can you just give me twenty minutes to clean myself up? Then we can meet at Thirsty Theo's? Uh, yes. Sounds good. See you later. Simon called back before running off. He made his way back to the castle, shut himself in his room, and slumped down to the floor. Indexia, sensing the boy's distress, hovered out of the great book and sat next to him. Was the potion a failure, your highness? Is your soulmate ugly? No, Simon sniffled. According to that potion, my soulmate is Evangeline McSire. Well, what's wrong with that? Indexia inquired. If you asked me, she'd make a fine romantic partner. Oh, but, but Indexia, it's, it's her. 
Simon sighed, longingly. I mean, she's so strong and brave and fun and smart and and pretty? Beautiful, Simon agreed. And me, I, well, what do I have to offer her? Indexia arched an eyebrow. You mean, aside from the fact that you are a prince who is so drop-dead gorgeous that any woman would kill to have you? Indexia, I'm serious, Simon groaned. The potion says she's my soulmate, but we've been friends for years and she's never shown any interest in me. And now I'm supposed to meet her at Thirsty Theo's. Ugh, what should I do? Well, if I may be so bold, and keep in mind this is just a suggestion, make a move? Indexia offered. What? How can you possibly know how she truly feels about you unless you make an effort to tell her how you feel? Indexia hovered back to the great book. Why not write her a romantic poem? See how she reacts? The worst she can say is no. Simon hugged his knees to his chest and buried his face in his hands as he considered the mage's words. During his short time at St. Olaf's Evangeline was one of the only things he could think about to get him through it. Her infectious smile, the way she tucked her hair behind her ear, and her enthusiasm about becoming a warrior were all things he admired about her. And deep in his heart, he knew that Indexia was right. Okay, I'll write her a poem, he decided. But I'm telling you, there's no way she'd ever want to be with me. Back at the training camps. I want to kiss that boy so bad. Evangeline sighed as she lathered her hair in the shower. Seriously? Crystal remarked from her own shower. I mean, don't get me wrong, Simon's hot as hell, but you never struck me as the kind of girl who even likes guys. Especially since practically every guy in Dragontown has your footprint on their balls. Simon's different, Evangeline continued fondly. He's sweet and sensitive and kind, and he'd never do anything to hurt me. Fuck it. I'm just gonna tell him how I feel at the tavern. No, Crystal shouted. Baby sister, I will always support your decisions, but if you want to have a serious relationship with him, let him make the first move. What? Why? Because I have been in your position. The elder sister continued as she turned off the faucet to dry herself. And I always made the first move, but all it got me was a bunch of heartbreak and disappointment. So, if he wants to be with you, he can make the first move. Evangeline finished her own shower and started drying herself. I guess you're right. Glad you agree? Crystal handed her sister a fresh set of clothes. Now let's head home and get you prettied up. What? Evangeline blinked as she put on her undergarments. But you said dash. I didn't say you couldn't give him a little incentive. With that, the sisters hurried back home. Evangeline picked out her best skirt and blouse and tied her dark blue hair back into a simple ponytail. Next, Crystal helped her apply pink lipstick, blue eyeshadow, and just a touch of blush. To complete the makeover, Crystal sprayed Evangeline with some of their mother's perfume. Evangeline went ahead inside to reserve a booth while Crystal took a seat at the bar to keep an eye out for her. Outside the tavern, Simon had just finished putting the final touches on his poem. To a Friend, by Simon Dragonfly. 
I dedicate this poem to Evangeline, the only woman of my dreams. She is my knight in shining armor, with a mighty blade and a wit that's sharper, her hair as beautiful as midnight sky. She is the apple of my eye, and so I ask to be your guy. Will you go out with SS Dragonfly? Simon took a deep breath before he entered the tavern. Once he saw Evangeline, she stood up and made her way towards him. In the prince's eyes, she was absolutely stunning. Stealing his nerves, he nervously held out his hand to give her the note. Uh, Evangeline? I don't want to impose, but uh, I, uh, I double you wrote you a poem. And not to be weird or anything. I just, uh, thought you might dash. It was then that Evangeline tackled the prince to the ground, firmly cupped his cheeks, and began assaulting his entire face with lustful kisses. At last, her lips met with his and her tongue snaked its way inside his mouth. He tastes like strawberries, she thought. Once she had her fill, she released Simon's lips with an audible pop, leaving a trail of saliva to keep their mouths connected. Simon's face was practically painted pink from her lipstick, not that he minded. The young prince was in a love-struck trance of pure bliss as the crescent-shaped marks on his cheeks shone brighter than the actual moon. Crystal, on the other hand, could only face Baum at her sister's lack of willpower. He made the first move. Evangeline cheered as she picked the prince up in a bridal carry, making him bury his face in his hands once again. Crystal decided to head home and give the new couple some privacy. Over the next few hours, Simon and Evangeline spent their time together reminiscing about the day they first met and how far their friendship had progressed. Simon told her about his time at St. Olaf's and his problems with his parents, and Evangeline told him all about her training and how the men in the military never took her seriously. Uh, well, uh, I could, um, technically make you my, my squire, Simon bashfully offered. Evangeline turned towards him with an eager smile. By becoming a prince's squire, she would be trained in private by the most hardened veterans Muni had to offer, and as an added bonus, she would have an excuse to stay beside her new boyfriend. I mean, there's a whole process. I'd have to talk to Dad about it. But if you're really as good as you say you are, then dash. Evangeline cut him off with another passionate kiss on the lips. You're cute when you babble, you know that? The next day. Simon had successfully convinced his father to make Evangeline his squire. He figured it was because his mother and siblings were away, putting the king in a good mood. But he wasn't going to complain. In fact, he was busy preparing a lovely picnic date to give his girlfriend the good news. Little did he realize that two frog monsters were spying on him. All right, Yulia, move your fat carcass and get ready, the elder of the two ordered. She stepped out from the bushes and flashed the friendliest smile she could manage. Excuse me, little Muman? I cannot help but notice that you are lost. Simon jumped out of his skin. Uh, and no, I was just as setting up a pee-pee picnic, he stammered, trying to stay calm. Oh, do not be bashful. Why don't you join my sister and I for dinner and we'll help you find your way home? Before Simon could reply, the frog monster grabbed his arm and pulled him into the bushes. Oh, sister, look who has come to join us for dinner. 
Go start the cooking fire. No. You called me fat, Sasha. The other frog monster huffed. No? What do you mean, no? Sasha was so flabbergasted that she let go of Simon. And it's not the first time, either. Yulia griped, crossing her arms. Yulia, be sensible. Sasha begged. I was just trying to catch our dinner. I wasn't thinking. I just... The frog woman rubbed a hand over her face in exasperation. I take it back. You're not fat. Too late. Yulia, please. I just wanted to catch this muman so we could chop him up for the stew. Sasha explained, much to Simon's horror. And that's another thing, Sasha. Yulia finally turned to look at the young prince, rubbing her hands together. I'm tired of stew. I want to put him in a crust and bake a light, fluffy quiche. Quiche? Sasha spluttered, indignantly. What kind of meal is that for a monster? The eldest sister turned back to their prey. Look, do you think you could come back in about half an hour? We'll have this sorted out by then. Simon immediately turned around and sprinted back to the castle, leaving his would-be killers in the dust. Sasha turned to her sister. Why didn't you stop me? Why should I? Yulia sniffed. You're so smart. Simon ran as fast as his legs would carry him, only able to run faster when he heard the sound of a hundred more footsteps running after him. In the distance, he saw Evangeline heading towards the area he told her to meet him. He grabbed her by the wrist and pulled her along towards the castle. Why are we running? she asked. Look behind you, he replied. She did as he told her and shrieked at the sight of so many monsters all at once. She scooped her boyfriend up in her arms and sprinted towards the magic barrier. They made it inside and were immediately greeted by the king. Simon! A rogue group of monsters are attacking the castle! Ryan informed his son as he pulled him and his squire into the study. The magical barrier has weakened over the years and I need time to reinforce it. We know! Evangeline drew her sword for protection. They surrounded the main perimeter. There's no way out without getting caught. That's why you're going to prove your worth as Simon Squire and keep him safe, Ryan ordered. Evangeline, you will take my son to the safe room in the west wing of this castle and take the interdimensional scissors. Simon can use them to take you both to safety and stay there until I deem it safe for you to return. Be but dad, what about Dash? No buts, Ryan snapped. Don't worry about me, I'll be fine as long as I have the scepter. After you leave, I'll meet up with Milo and the other Solarians. They'll know how to drive them out. For now, just stay together and get to the scissors. I found a dimension that's well hidden, Earth. His diamond cube. Shifted into an image of a blue-green orb. It has no magic, but you'll be safe there. Okay, but how are we supposed to get past any monsters who get in? Evangeline asked, irate. Ryan rubbed his chin as he considered their options. I promised myself I would never show anyone this. Much to Simon and Evangeline's confusion, the king took a portrait off of the wall from behind his desk and began rearranging the tiles. Suddenly, 
the tiles glowed bright green as they took the form of a giant infinity sign. The prince and his squire watched in amazement as the wall retracted to reveal a secret passageway. Ryan took an oil lantern and scroll from his desk and handed them to the young couple. You'll need to answer all five of these riddles to navigate through the labyrinth and make it to the safe room. Now go! Oh, okay. Okay. Simon grabbed the scroll while Evangeline took the lantern, and they made their way inside the secret tunnel. Thanks, Dad! With that, the couple made their way to the safe room to head for Earth. Chapter 2 A Trip to Earth San Felipe, Mexico November 11, 1910 Carlos Diaz loaded the last crate of his parents' homemade strawberry jam into the back of his 1909 Packard. While the rest of his family handled moving to their new home in America, he had volunteered to shut down their shop in San Felipe and move their family business to the new location. As he loaded the last crate into the back of his car and some of his favorite books in the passenger seat, he checked the pocket watch his father had lent him, making sure he was on schedule. The reason his family was moving to America was because his uncle had borrowed some money from a notorious cartel leader, and the rest of. The family was now in danger. Once the last of their shop was packed up, Carlos hastily cranked the gearbox to start the engine before hurrying to the driver's seat. Okay, Daisy, ready to see our new home? He smiled as the mixed pitbull boxer puppy happily barked in the passenger seat. All right then, the manos! The Diaz family had sold their farm to move to a new town in California called Echo Creek where many other immigrants had moved to. In preparation for their new home, Carlos and his family had been teaching themselves English to better integrate with the locals in California. Two hours into the drive, the sun had set and Carlos turned on the headlights. Suddenly, another pair of headlights appeared from behind him and approached at a rapid pace. Oh God, is that them? Carlos nervously thought to himself as the headlights grew nearer and nearer. If it is, I can't let them follow me. I'd be putting mom, dad, and everyone else in danger. What should I do? What should I do? Ultimately, Carlos knew that he had to keep his family safe. He pulled off the paved road and into the dirt, ready to stop and face the wrath of the cartel. But before he shut off the engine to get out, the car that was behind him sped past him and disappeared into the darkness. Oh, gracias a Dios. Carlos sighed in relief as he drove back onto the road. As his heart rate steadied, he gently stroked his dog's head to calm her. No son elos, Daisy. Estamos bien. Fioran dash. Suddenly, a circle of flames opened up in the middle of the road. Carlos screamed in terror and swerved out of the way just in time. There were no other cars coming in either direction, so he didn't have to worry about hitting anyone as he hit the brakes. Once the automobile came to a complete stop, Carlos cautiously reached into the back seat for an oil lantern and got out to inspect the spiraling vortex of flames. The young Latino was mesmerized by the bizarre phenomenon as it seemed almost hypnotic. Suddenly, Two shadowy figures stepped out from the flames, startling Carlos into stumbling backwards. Geez, it's freezing! The female shivered. Are you sure this is the right place? Why, yeah. Pretty sure. 
The male held up a pair of ruby-encrusted scissors and clipped them closed. As he did so, the vortex they had exited vanished into thin air. We'll know when it's safe to return to Muni when this ruby starts flashing. That'll be Dad's signal for us to come home. It was then that the woman noticed the quivering young native and his vehicle. Oh, good. Transportation. Before Carlos could say anything, she gripped his coat collar and roughly brought him up to his feet. Hate to trouble you, sir, but we need to borrow your vehicle to find a safe haven. Carlos stammered. Why you can't take my car? I need to get to my family's new home in Echo Creek. And you'll get there, Evangeline insisted. After you help me and my boyfriend, uh, I mean my prince find a safe place to spend the night. That'll take too much time. And time is something I don't have right now. Oh, she sneered irritably. So you think you're better than us, cause you're in a hurry? Well, we're in a hurry, too. But no, you didn't figure that, did you? That we might be equals. No, you just consider yourself superior right out. You're rude. Why estes loca? Carlos snapped. You pop out of nowhere like some kind of demonio del inferno and demand my car? Listen, you little dash. Evangeline. The man behind her placed a hand on her shoulder and whispered in her ear. Remember, we're guests in this dimension. We can't go around antagonizing people. The woman sighed, knowing that her companion was right. Okay, I'm sorry. You're in shock right now, she said soothingly to Carlos. I understand this must be very confusing for you. Let's just start over. What's your name? Uh, Carlos Diaz. Okay. Nice to meet you, Carlos Diaz. She gave a bow. I am Evangeline McSire of Dragontown. This is Prince Simon Dragonfly of Muni. Simon bashfully hid his face with one hand while waving with the other. Carlos was about to speak up again when he heard barking coming from the truck, and he suddenly remembered his passenger. Evangeline drew her sword and stepped in front of Simon to protect him from whatever was making the noise. Daisy hopped out of the vehicle and ran to her master's side, barking at the interdimensional travelers. Simon gasped as his cheek marks shone brightly. Oh, my stump! In the blink of an eye, the future king had scooped up the earthly creature and cradled her in his arms. Evangeline, look! She's adorable! Who's a fuzzy baby? Who's a fuzzy baby? Is it you? Is it you? As Simon cooed, the pitbull began happily licking his face. Evangeline's jaw went slack at the sight before her. In all the years she'd known Simon, he had never seemed so excited and happy before. Something about the creature was helping him relax and loosen up. Just then, she remembered the driver. So, uh, anyway, sorry about the misunderstanding. But Simon and I are. New to this dimension, and we could really use a ride to the nearest city. Can you help us, please? Uh, Carlos considered. The couple were clearly desperate and in need of help, and they would likely die on their own if left in the desert. But at the same time, he also had to get as much distance from Pedro as possible. I don't know. We're on a pretty tight schedule. Yes, sir, please. 
Simon softly begged while still holding the affectionate dog. We could really use your help, and we'd be happy to make it up to you. Evangeline nodded. Come on, man. Sometimes you just gotta roll the dice. Carol's mouth opened and closed like a fish as he tried to come up with a rational course of action. But as he saw the pleading looks in their eyes, and remembered the lessons his grandmother taught him, he realized that he couldn't just leave them. Okay. He nodded. Okay. Evangeline smiled. Great. Simon, you ride in the back of that contraption. I'll keep a lookout in the front. Simon carried the puppy into the back seat with him, letting her continue to lick his face as he took a seat. Carlos cranked the automobile's gearbox to start the engine again, then got back behind the wheel, while Evangeline generously picked up some of the luggage that had spilled out when Carlos slammed the brakes. With two books in her hands, she jumped into the passenger seat, handed Simon the English-Spanish dictionary, and nodded for Carlos to take off. While keeping his eyes on the road for most of the journey, Carlos glanced over to see Evangeline reading his copy of War of the Worlds by H. G. Wells. So, what are you guys? I mean, like, are you aliens? To you we are, yes. Evangeline nodded. Yeah, but I mean... Carlos bit his lip as he struggled to find the right words. Like, are you here to take over the world? Enslave humanity? Harvest our organs? Simon peeked over the book with a terrified look in his eyes. What kind of horrible visitors have you encountered before us? He asked, worried. No, we would never do any of that. Carlos spared a glance to the back seat. Hey, he's got a voice, he joked playfully. Ahem, so tell me, your highness, does this peasant vehicle trip suit your fancy so far? Simon's cheek marks shone from embarrassment as he hid his face behind the English-Spanish dictionary. He doesn't talk much, does he? Carlos asked curiously. Yeah, sorry, he's a little shy. Evangeline glanced to the back seat where Simon hid his face behind the book. It's so cute, though. Huh. And you say he's a prince? Evangeline frowned. Don't say it like that. It's not his fault that he has trouble talking in front of strangers. He's been working on it for years now, and he's made good progress. In fact, he just took a huge step forward recently. Oh, yeah? What's that? The ebony-skinned squire brushed her hair back with a proud smile. Asking me out on a date. Her smile quickly shifted to a frown. Of course the monsters had to go and ruin our picnic by storming the castle. That's why we had to come here in the first place. Carlos blinked and Evangeline's claim of monsters attacking castles. If he hadn't just witnessed the couple arrive through a flaming portal in the middle of a desert road he would doubt her. So, uh, is there some kind of royal embassy here, or something? I mean, where are you going? Evangeline sighed. Unfortunately, the king of Muni neglected to divulge such information. We only have a bag of money to pay for room and board, the clothes we're wearing, and a few elixir bottles in Simon's coat. Hopefully, we can find a hotel or something. Carlos' heart sank. While he had only visited Echo Creek once before going back to pack up the rest of his family's business, 
he knew that most of the hotels in the area would be far too expensive for the couple. He was about to tell them about it when Simon spoke up. Gracias por ayudarnos, Carlos, he struggled to say. A adonde numbers, Levis? Carlos turned back to face the prince. Are you, are you teaching yourself my language? Well, since you speak our language, I thought it would only be fair for us to learn yours. Simon reasoned, still hiding behind the book. Did I mispronounce something? Ah, uh, no. Carlos turned back to look at the road. That was Muy Bien, actually. Huh. Evangeline arched an eyebrow. H. He said very good. Simon explained. Huh, let me see that. Evangeline reached back to take the dictionary from her boyfriend and began skimming through it. In the meantime, Simon kept himself preoccupied by playing with Daisy. It was then that Carlos realized what he had to do. All right, that settles it, he said. You two can stay with me familia for as long as you need. Simon and Evangeline looked at each other in confusion at Carlos' sudden declaration. But seeing as how they were in unfamiliar territory, they couldn't refuse his offer. With a shrug, the two settled into their seats to enjoy the rest of their trip. While his squire continued reading the dictionary, Simon glanced at the back of the automobile and licked his lips at the sight of the strawberry jam jars. Three hours later. Despite its rather lackluster founding, Echo Creek quickly became a popular town for American immigrants to set up affordable housing. People from as close as Mexico and as far as the Philippine Islands had come in search of better futures for their families. The Diaz family in particular had purchased a two-story house with an adjoining barn that they would turn into their place of business. Angelo and Sylvia Diaz prided themselves on making and selling their own strawberry jam, and were planning on converting the barn into a store for their business. All they had to do was wait for their son to return with the rest of their prepared strawberry jam so they could make enough money to get them through the winter. At last, Carlos pulled up the street and into the driveway. Carlos! Suddenly an older woman ran out of the house and hugged the driver. Gracias a Dios, estás bien. You've been gone for so long we feared the worst. Carlos hugged his mother back, relieved to see her again. Soon afterwards, Carlos' father and siblings came out to embrace him as well, and help him unload the crates of strawberry jam from the back of the vehicle. We picked the best place to move to, it seems, Mrs. Diaz remarked. Apparently, there's a pretty desagradable Ola de Frio going on in the Midwest. A lot of tourists are expected to head out here for the winter. And you know what that means, Mr. Diaz smirked as Simon helped him with another crate. Thanks, machacho, that means more dinero. So we're gonna need to work long and hard on getting the barn set up to dash. The patriarch froze in place once he realized who had helped him, as did the rest of his family. He turned back to the pink-haired teenager and looked him up and down. Ay, our low he visto to do, he remarked. Carlos, quien es este chico? Mrs. Diaz demanded. Oh, hold on. That's my job. Evangeline stumbled out of the passenger's seat with the dictionary still in her hand before making her way over to her boyfriend. She skimmed over the pages once more, cleared her throat, 
and proudly motioned towards him. Presentando a su alteza real, el principe Simon Dragonfly. Simon bashfully gave a curtsy at the Hispanic family, only further cementing their confusion. Prince of what? One of the Diaz siblings asked. Carlos Abaldo Diaz, did you pick up hitchhikers? Mrs. Diaz scolded angrily. And no, Mama! Carlos shook his head. Well, see, but it's complicated. I found them stuck in the middle of the desert. I couldn't just leave them there. Sure, you could have, Mr. Diaz remarked. All you had to do was keep driving. For all we know, they're working for Pedro. Padre, they are not working for Pedro. Carlos rolled his eyes. They explained everything to me after they stepped through the magic portal that brought them here. They're a prince and squire from a magical realm called Muni, and they need safe haven from the monsters who are attacking their castle. The Diaz parents looked at their oldest child as if he had grown a second head. His mother shook his head in disappointment. Mijo, did these people give you something? What? No. Mom, they're not with Pedro. Carlos snapped. And I'm not on any drugs. Padre, remember what Abuela Elena used to say, the Diaz family has always been a charitable family. And if we see someone in need, we have to help them any way we can. I've spent the last three hours traveling with Simon and Evangeline, and I can tell you for a fact that they are worth helping. Even if I have to help them all by myself, I will. That means I'll give them whatever they need. The food off my plate. The clothes off my back. And even my own bed. While Carlos continued to argue with his parents, Simon and Evangeline continued to help unload the crates. As they set one down, an empty jar fell out of Simon's coat and rolled over to Carlos' feet. Mrs. Diaz was furious. You let him eat one of our jars? I am sorry, senora. Simon patted his pockets until he found two gold coins on his person and held them out to the startled family. Will this cover it? Mrs. Diaz examined one of the coins. These, these can't be real. Mr. Diaz took the other coin and bit down on it. Seems real to me. Carlos smirked and looked over at the couple. I think you won them over. He chuckled. After they finished carrying all of the crates into the barn, the Diaz family invited Simon and Evangeline into the living room. Lo lamentamus, Simon. Mrs. Diaz apologized as she set down a tray of tea. You see, my brother got into trouble with a criminal back home and we've been on the run ever since. That's a shame, Evangeline lamented as she accepted a cup. I can assure you, though, we are not a threat to your family. Well, in that case, let's start over. Carlos smiled. This is mi madre, Silvia. Mi padre, Angelo. Ms. Hermanus, Rosa y Angela. And my hermano, Miguel. Simon stood up and curtsied once more. Evangeline and I would be honored if you'd allow us to stay here until my father summons us back home. Well, we do have one spare bedroom, Angelo shrugged, but you'll have to share. Simon blushed at the idea of sharing a bed with Evangeline so early in their relationship. Nevertheless, she put her arm around him with a broad smile. No problem, 
and thanks so much for your kindness. Carlos led the couple to their room upstairs, noticing that Daisy continued to paw at Simon's feet as he walked. All right, Daisy, I've got a job for you, Nina, Carlos remarked as he petted the dog. I need you to look after this Principe Timido. Daisy happily barked at that command and jumped into Simon's arms, much to the prince's delight. With that, the prince and his squire snuggled with the dog in their bed. The next day, Evangeline was shaken awake by her prince. Evangeline! Evangeline! Wake up! You have to see this! Simon excitedly shouted. The squire saw her prince holding a blanket while standing in a doorway in front of Daisy. Okay, okay, okay. Watch this. Daisy stared at Simon as he held the blanket over his face, then put it back down. Evangeline watched, curiously, as Simon repeated the process three more times before throwing the blanket up and stepping away from the door frame to hide behind the wall. Daisy jumped to her feet in shock, nervously sniffing the blanket as if it had eaten Simon. Evangeline burst out laughing as Daisy sniffed around the area, trying to find her new friend. At last, Simon stepped out from behind the door and picked up the relieved puppy. Isn't that the cutest thing? He gushed. All right, enough playing around. Sylvia told the human couple as she walked up the stairs. If you're going to stay, you'll have to work. And we need to plant some strawberry bushes out back if we're going to keep this business afloat. Yes, ma'am. Evangeline nodded, and she and Simon got dressed for the day. While Simon, Rosa, Angela, and Sylvia planted the bushes, Carlos, Evangeline, Miguel, and Angelo tidied up the barn to convert it into a store. By the time they were finished, the sun was beginning to set and Sylvia took her daughters inside to prepare dinner. As they sat down at the dinner table with the rest of the Diaz family, Simon and Evangeline were baffled at the sight of the food before them. It looked like meat and beans wrapped in thin paper. What's this? Evangeline questioned, trying to sound as polite as possible. It's a tamale! Sylvia smiled proudly. My own mother's recipe. Trust me, you'll love it! Carlos promised as he took a bite to demonstrate. Reluctantly, the Muman couple took bites of their own and their eyes lit up at the exotic taste. They proceeded to shovel the food into their mouths and immediately asked for seconds, and then thirds. Eri's tan caliente. Rosa sighed, unceremoniously, at Simon. Will you be staying for long? Simon blushed and hid his face at her forwardness. But to make things worse, Angela soon got in on the action. What's the matter, Chico? Don't you like girls? He does. Evangeline practically growled, jealously. He just happens to be spoken for. By you? Rosa snorted. Boys don't like big strong girls. They like Chiquita little things like me. Simon didn't say anything. Go on, tell her. Angela insisted. What's wrong? El gato te comió la lengua? Don't hit on Evangeline's boyfriend right in front of her, Usted Zoras. Carlos scolded his sisters. And leave Simon alone. He's just shy. And you're not helping. Shy, huh? Angelo nodded with a grin as he headed for the pantry. 
The Hispanic patriarch chuckled as he returned with a tall bottle and a few glasses. He filled one glass and handed it to the house guest. I got just what you need right here, Chico. It'll send your anxiety packing. Ah, uh, Padre, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Carlos interjected nervously. Regardless, Simon accepted the glass and looked down at his reflection in the liquid. Does it really help, Senor Diaz? Oh, poor Supuesto! Angelo nodded and filled his own glass. One glass and you'll feel great, muchacho! Well, I guess it's worth a try. Simon shrugged and lifted the glass to his lips. Okay, Simon, but you want to drink it, dash! Carlos' warning came too late as his friend lifted the glass up and drank all of it in one gulp. Slowly. Simon coughed at the dry taste. What's in that potion? He wheezed. Angelo laughed. That would be the best tequila in all of Mexico, machacho. Yeah, it'll put hair on your chest. Miguel agreed and held out a glass of his own. No, Miguel. Sylvia scolded. You're still too young to be drinking that. Evangeline noticed that Simon had dropped his glass and began to stumble around. She picked up the glass and sniffed at it. This is alcohol. She gasped in horror. Oh, no, Simon's never drank before. Ah, uh, he'll be fine, Chica. Angela waved off the squire's concerns. Just cause he ain't as big-boned as you doesn't mean he can't hold his dash. Stop talking about my girlfriend like that, you bitch! Simon snapped, suddenly. Evangeline was more shocked than anyone. She had never heard Simon curse until now. Rosa and Angela fainted at being yelled at so rudely, and Carlos laughed at their expense. Simon stumbled into Evangeline's arms with his face landing in between her soft breasts. Ahem, may are you okay, my liege? She blushed, trying to hide her embarrassment. I'm fine. Don't listen to those girls. I love bigger girls, Evangeline. And I love all your muscles. Simon laughed as he began roaming his hands over the Solarian's tight skin. His cheek marks began to glow the more he studied her body. Like these arms. You could probably crush my head if you wanted and I'd thank you. And your abs. I love your abs. And that cute tushy. Stump, I want that cute tushy so bad. Evangeline felt her face warm up at how forward Simon was being. Simon! She half-scolded slash half-giggled. Hey! I'm a prince! So I can say what I like! Simon slurred as he continued to grope the soft flesh of his crush. And I like! Evangeline shook her head and hoisted the young prince over her shoulder. Okay, I think you've had enough potions for today. Let's get you to bed. The squire carried him into their shared bedroom, removed his coat for him, and began slipping his shoes off. Hey! Simon suddenly snapped and began covering himself with the blanket. Back off, lady. I have a girlfriend. Her name is Evangeline. And she is a wonderful and amazing and strong. Evangeline sighed as a soft smile spread over her lips. The tequila had finally taken its toll and Simon was fast asleep. With a yawn, she removed her own cape and snuggled up next to him as she entered a deep slumber.
The next morning, Simon made his way downstairs, nursing a painful headache. When he arrived in the kitchen, Rosa and Angela passed him with their noses in the air. The prince sat down at the kitchen's island as Carlos handed him a mug of freshly brewed coffee. Evangeline sat down next to him with her own cup. Sleep well? Simon winced. Please, Evangeline, I'm right next to you. You don't have to shout. Evangeline giggled. Sorry, sweetie. What do you remember from last night? Not a lot. Everything's kind of a blur. Simon groaned. I didn't say anything stupid, did I? No. Not really. Evangeline shrugged, smirking as she watched the prince drink the bitter liquid. So, you want my cute tushy, huh? Simon spat his coffee all over the table, his face turning bright crimson. January 19, 1911 As winter slowly came to an end, the Diaz family's business revenue began to pick up. With only a few payments left of their mortgage, they would be able to start preparing for Cinco de Mayo. When he wasn't helping them with the store, Simon continued working on his potions in an attempt to unlock his muberty form. Sylvia had been generous enough to let him borrow any unused jars for his experiments provided that he washed them when he was done. The prince had tried several different recipes, but none of them ever seemed to have any effect on his biology. Daisy tugged on his pant leg with her teeth, making him smile. Is it time, already? he asked. The dog barked and ran down the stairs with Simon close behind. Carlos had convinced his parents to let him take the couple to the hot springs out of town. Without swimwear, Carlos informed them that they would have to swim naked to avoid ruining their clothes. Simon was anxious at the idea of seeing Evangeline naked, but Carlos promised that the steam from the pools would be thick enough to keep them all covered. When they arrived at the hot springs, Daisy immediately ran out of the automobile and jumped into one of the smaller pools. Well, I guess we know which one we're getting in. Carlos chuckled and began to strip. Seeing this as the perfect opportunity to tease her boyfriend, Evangeline sat down on a nearby rock, undid her cape, untied her boot laces, and sensually removed the boot to show off her long legs. Now, Simon, don't think this gives you permission to ogle my body. She joked. But when the squire glanced over at Simon, all of her confidence washed away to be replaced with shock. Simon had already shrugged off his coat and shirt, putting his lean muscles on display for his girlfriend to see. The squire felt her heart rate start to climb as Simon turned around to see her gawking at him. Embarrassed, she continued to undress herself, matching his pace until they were both in their undergarments. So, uh... Simon gulped nervously. Why, yeah. Evangeline nodded. Okay, uh, same time. Simon suggested. As sure. Evangeline struggled to hide her excitement as she gripped her undergarments and corset. Oh, one, two, three. The couple discarded the remainder of their clothing. But instead of looking at each other as they planned, they both immediately jumped into the water to hide themselves. The two mewmans remained neck deep in the water staring into each other's eyes without saying a word. Daisy swam in between the couple, barking happily, until both Mewmans reached to pick her up out of the water. They were both now waist-deep in the water, holding a soaking wet. 
puppy in their hands, their fingers brushing against each other, and everything but their bright red faces clouded from the steam. They both smiled. Then they laughed. Then they kissed. And then they sank back into the steaming water to relax. Little did they realize that Carlos wasn't entirely accurate with the thickness of the steam. He had seen both of them in all their bare glory before they jumped in. Huh? He remarked to himself. So the carpets do match the drapes. May 5, 1911. Cinco de Mayo. Carlos and his family were excited. Today was the festival of Cinco de Mayo, and they were all going down to Echo Creek Square to celebrate. When Simon heard that he and Evangeline had been invited to attend along with the Diaz family, he was excited. Carlos had even lent him his grandfather's suit to wear to the festival, and Rosa and Angela were helping dress Evangeline. After dressing himself and drinking one more elixir, Simon glanced down at the interdimensional scissors resting on the nightstand next to the bed. It had been six months since his father sent him away, and he still hadn't given the all-clear signal. But the more Simon thought about it, the more he realized that he didn't mind. The shy prince had finally found a place where he didn't have to worry about speaking in front of crowds, overbearing mothers, or disappointed fathers. He was truly happy. He tucked the scissors into his pocket and made his way downstairs just in time to see Carlos lead Rosa and Angela out the door. To Encantadora Dama Saldra en un minuto, Rosa giggled. Simon opted to wait for his girlfriend while the Diaz family went to start up the automobile. At last, she stepped out of the girl's bedroom. Evangeline was wearing a clean white blouse with a simple floral pattern across the collar and a black skirt with white, red, and green stripes at the bottom of it. Her dark blue hair had been tied back into a ponytail and her fingernails were painted red. She did a twirl to show off her entire look in a way that made Simon's heart skip a beat. Well. She asked bashfully. How do I look? Simon's cheek marks glowed at the sight of her. Please be the queen of my kingdom and the mother of my heirs. He whispered blissfully. What? Nothing. Simon turned away, blushing furiously. The prince proceeded to power walk out the door. Come on. We're late for the festival. But what the couple saw next filled them with dread. Ten men had surrounded the house with guns and forced the Diaz family to their knees. Carlos was the only one putting up a fight, requiring two men to hold him back. Simon! Evangeline! he shouted desperately. Correr! Corin por sus vidas! Evangeline rushed at the criminals with righteous fury, only to fall to the ground from a single shot to the shoulder from one of their pistols. Simon ran to help her, but two other men grabbed him and held him down with the others. One of the men stepped in front of Silvia and Angelo with a cigar between his teeth. P. Pedro, Silvia stammered. The crime boss snapped his fingers, ordering three of his men to take red canisters out of the back of their truck and head for the barn. Silvia Quarita, did you think you could escape from me? That you and your family could avoid the consequences? Pedro, please. Leave my family out of this. Sylvia begged. Take me instead. No more talk. Pedro growled as his men poured gasoline around the barn. I loaned your brother money, 
and he didn't give it back. And when that happens, people get hurt. The henchmen put gags around the Diaz family and aimed their guns at their heads with the intent to shoot. But not before the others set the barn ablaze. No! Let them go! I won't let you do this! Simon shouted as he bravely struggled against the thugs holding him back. As he strained to break free, the elixir he drank earlier was beginning to take hold, enhanced by his own righteous fury. I'm not going to let you hurt my friends! The elixir was now coursing through the shy prince's viands, enticing a chain reaction in his body. His cheek marks shone brightly, as did his eyes. A cascading wave of magical energy radiated from his body that knocked over the banditos. One of them dropped his gun, causing it to discharge and shoot a jar of jam which splattered over Pedro's shirt. The crime boss stepped back from Simon as he levitated into the air, wings sprouting from his back for more arms growing from his torso, and his skin changing to a bright pink pigmentation. Once his initial adrenaline wore off, Simon looked down at all six of his arms with his enhanced eyes. I did it! I did it! He cheered in delight, spinning in the air as his wings kept him aloft. As he did so, he knocked Pedro to the ground by accident. Oh! Sorry! Sorry! Wait, I'm not sorry! You're the one who's trying to hurt my friends. Dios mio! Pedro trembled in terror as his gaze shifted between the hovering human and the strawberry jam spilled over his shirt. I've been shot. THTH they sent me to the bad place. And why you're El Diablo? Simon chose to ignore the blabbering drug dealer for the time being and flew over to the burning barn. On his command, concentrated streams of water shot out of his palms, dousing the flames eating away at the barn. Pedro was still delirious with shock, but managed to rise to his feet and run away. But just as he was about to escape, the criminal found himself clotheslined by a muscular woman with blue hair. Where do you think you're going, asshole? Evangeline sneered, cracking her knuckles. Once the barn was saved, Simon turned his attention to the armed thugs. Remembering the spells he'd read in the Great Book of Magic, he managed to cast a shield spell to repel their bullets just in time. He then cast one of his grandfather's spells to levitate their weapons into the air out of their reach. With their captors disarmed, the Diaz family rose up and attacked. Simon hovered back to the ground just in time to tie them all up for the authorities. However, Evangeline wasn't quite finished beating Pedro to a pulp. Evangeline! Sufficient! Sufficient! Stop! Carlos begged, trying to hold his friend back. He's had enough! You're being loco! No, Carlos! Beating up this asshole after he almost killed Simon and your family is not loco! It's, it's, a. Uh... Evangeline dropped the cartel leader and turned to her friend. Wait, what's the word for rational? Rational. Stump damn it! The squire cursed under her breath. Angelo and Sylvia stared at the burnt remains of their store. Sylvia fell to her knees, sobbing, being comforted by her husband. Their children and Evangeline went inside the barn to see if anything was still intact. Simon was about to go help them when he felt a weak vibration in his pocket. The scissors. The thought to himself. Sure enough, the gemstone in the scissors was flashing brightly. 
Ryan was signaling his son to come home. The prince sadly pocketed the scissors and entered the barn. He would tell everyone after they salvaged what was left of the store. A few hours later, the police had arrested Pedro's gang and were on their way to send him back to Mexico. The Diazes recovered a single crate of jam from the burnt barn, and Simon and Evangeline were prepared to return to Muni. Carlos and Daisy accompanied the couple into the backyard before they left. I, I hope you can rebuild your business, Simon said. We don't have the money to rebuild, Carlos lamented. We'll have to go back to Mexico. This just isn't fair, Evangeline grumbled bitterly. We shouldn't have to leave you guys in your time of need. Ah, uh, you two don't need to worry about us, Carlos replied dismissively. I mean, after all, you guys only stuck around because, hey, Simon? Why did you stick around? Simon felt a pang in his heart. Because I like you, he replied shakily. Because you're, and my friend. And I'll never forget how you helped us, Carlos. Oh, Carlos sniffled. Daisy whimpered, pawing at Simon's pant leg as if she were begging for him to stay. The prince knelt down to give her a final hug. Goodbye, Daisy. Be a good girl, okay? The dog sadly walked back to her real master and laid down. Carlos gave a soft smile as he knelt down to pet his dog's head. Daisy? I've got a job for you, he said with a sniffle. I... I need you to look after this, Principe Timido. Simon and Evangeline gasped in shock at their friend's declaration. Carlos fought back tears as he cupped the dog's cheeks. W will you do me that, at favor? Daisy gave Carlos one more happy kiss before jumping up into Simon's arms. The prince handed her over to Evangeline and tearfully ran over to hug Carlos. I guess this is, adios, mi amigo, he whimpered. No, Carlos shook his head as he returned the hug. No, amigos don't say adios. Amigos say hasta luego. Hasta luego, then. Simon nodded. Two minutes later, the prince, his squire, and their new pet crossed back into the Muni dimension and closed the portal behind them. Knowing that the king would never allow Simon to keep Daisy in the castle, Evangeline offered to keep her at her own home until Simon's coronation. With that settled, Simon made his way up to the castle grounds where he was greeted with open arms by his mother and siblings. Oh, my baby! Jane cried happily. Thanks, Stump, you're all right. When your father told me about the monster attack, I rushed back as soon as I could. Where'd you go, Simon? Lazaza asked, curiously. What did you do while you were away? Did you meet anyone cool? Bildstam sniffed the coattails of his brother's jacket. You reek of magic, Simon! Did you go through Muberty while you were gone? Hey, where's Evangeline? Nogad scanned the nearby area for the squire. Did she go home already? Simon silently listened to his family fuss over him until he heard his father arrive. Ryan's arm was in a sling, likely having been damaged during a recent battle with the monsters. Nevertheless, the king adjusted his glasses as he made his way down the steps to greet his oldest child. Simon activated his muberty form as he bowed before Ryan, startling his family. Ryan studied the boy's wings and antennae. 
You, you unlocked your Muberty form? Without the scepter? Ryan asked with a mixture of astonishment and jealousy. How is that even possible? Simon unbuttoned his coat to reach for the pocket inside. Without a word, he removed an elixir bottle from one of the pockets and handed it to his father. Ryan adjusted his glasses as he read the label. Simon Dragonfly's Magic Jumpstart Elixir. Ryan's gaze shifted between the bottle and Simon. At last, Ryan handed the bottle back to the prince and gave him a pat on the back. Uh, it's good to have you back, my boy. Ryan led Jane and his children back into the castle for dinner, with Simon bringing up the rear. With a heavy heart, the prince looked at the photograph of him, Evangeline, and Carlos at the Cinco de Mayo festival. Good to be back, he sighed. Back in Echo Creek. Carlos had just finished packing his clothes for the move. His mother and father were still talking to the real estate agent, so it was up to him and his sisters to start loading up the truck with furniture and sweeping out the rooms. Since Rosa and Angela insisted on getting the couch and Miguel carried the mattresses, Carlos grabbed a broom and began sweeping around his room. But as he swept under his bed frame, he saw a flash of light and heard something. Rattle. Curious, he set the broom aside and got down to inspect the noise. Much to his surprise, he found a burlap sack with a note taped to it. He dragged the sack out from under the bed frame, pulled off the note, and read it. Dear Carlos, we hope this is enough to help you rebuild. Thank you so much for letting us stay with your family. Love, Simon and Evangeline. Carlos' jaw went slack as he peeked inside the bag. No, you didn't. He laughed tearfully. No, you didn't. Mama. Padre. Chapter 3. Comic Secrets Thirty years had passed since Simon became king of Muni. He and Evangeline ruled over the kingdom with kindness and compassion, as well as raising their own son with the same sentiment. After Ryan's death, the couple made periodic visits to the Earth Dimension to check on the Diaz family as well as set up a Muman embassy with California's government. It wasn't easy for the shy dragonfly to take on the demanding duties that came with being king even with the spell the scepter used to help him speak in public but with the love and support of his wife and son, he managed to pull through. Presently, Prince Edward had finally tied the knot with his girlfriend, world-famous composer and lutenist, Azure Saint. As per Edward and Azure's request, the wedding was a small, private ceremony with only close friends and family present. Carlos Diaz and his own children were unable to attend, but offered to let the newlyweds stay at his family home while they were on their honeymoon. Edward was excited to revisit his honorary uncle, but Simon was a bit apprehensive to the idea. Are you sure you want to visit the Earth Dimension, Edward? The king asked for the fifteenth time. Carlos tells me there's a pretty nasty war going on over there. Dad, that's miles away from where Tio Carlos and Tia Patricia are, Edward reasoned. And for the last time, I'm not spending my honeymoon in the old dimension with that stuck-up Prince Gumball. Simon sighed as he realized that there was no arguing with his son. All right, but be careful. Thanks, Dad. Edward beamed as he accepted the interdimensional scissors from his father. You know, it was awful nice of Tio Carlos to let me and Azure stay with his family while we're on our honeymoon. 
and when we get back you and mom can start preparing for your retirement. I am gonna buckle down and study to become king. I'll make you proud. You already do that, Simon remarked with a gentle smile. I love you, son. I know, dad. Edward chuckled happily. You tell me every day, and I love you, too. The king and prince shared a hug just as Evangeline walked in alongside Azure. The queen of Muni had requested some time alone with her son's new bride to talk. The former Solarian warrior smiled as she rushed to kiss her boy goodbye, while the musician hugged herself as she followed close behind her new mother-in-law. Baby, what did she say to you? Edward asked in a concerned tone. Promises, Azure whispered fearfully. So many promises. With a final goodbye, the newlyweds were off to the Earth dimension to enjoy their honeymoon. Later that night, after taking Daisy for a walk around the kingdom, Simon decided to turn in for the night. The pit bull scampered over to her dog bed while the king changed into his pajamas and settled into bed, scribbling away into his poem book. Ten minutes later, the queen arrived and crawled up the bed. Evangeline snatched the book out of Simon's hands, revealing her silk negligee and hungry eyes. So, she purred seductively. Edward and Azure are on their honeymoon, the MHC are doing their own things, and we have the castle to ourselves. Simon's cheek marks shone brightly. Even after all the years they'd been married, Evangeline still managed to get him hot and bothered. Why, Queen Evangeline? He smiled bashfully. Whatever is on your mind? That night, the entire castle was filled with the sounds of passion and euphoria. The next morning, the king and queen awoke with their limbs intertwined, still bathing in the afterglow of the night before. Evangeline was the first of the two to get up, although she found her knees were still a bit weak as she made her way to the shower. Eventually, the couple managed to get themselves cleaned up and head downstairs for breakfast. Simon had just finished scrambling the eggs when he spared a glance at the calendar. Oh yeah, today's my dad's birthday, Simon remarked as he handed a plate to his wife. Which means it's also riddle day. I always thought that maybe if someone solved that ultimate riddle, then maybe he wouldn't have killed my mom. Evangeline set her fork down and placed a comforting hand on her husband's shoulder. None of that was your fault, okay? Your dad had a lot of problems other than that riddle. I mean, you've been working on an answer to that riddle every year since he went back to hell. I know. It just seems like such an easy riddle. Seven came before Ryan, if you subtract the princess, add four more reigns to his domain, and then what gets vanquished? I mean, the obvious answer would be something about the kings that came before my dad, but there were thirty-one kings that came. Before him, not seven. Unless. Simon's eyes widened in shock as the realization struck him. Wait, that's it. What? Evangeline watched as her husband bolted up and ran to the library. She and Daisy got up and followed after him. Simon, what's going on? What's it? Simon rushed towards the great book of magic, flipped open the pages to his father's chapter, and counted backwards all the way to Skywind's chapter. Of course. Everyone knows that there were thirty-one kings before Dad took over, 
but after the first great book was destroyed in the fire, there are only seven kings before him in the second great book. Maybe the answer to what gets vanquished in four more reigns lies in the past before Skywind. Simon didn't waste any time after that. With nothing better to do, Evangeline helped him pull up a table while he set the great book in front of him, placed his tarot cards next to it, and set Omnitraxis' crystal ball in the center of the table. I hope Omni won't mind me borrowing her crystal ball, Simon remarked. Oh, what's the harm? Evangeline shrugged as she pulled up her seat. Last time I checked, we're the king and queen. What's she gonna do, kill us? The ceremony of the Mumentero spread was surprisingly basic. Evangeline would shuffle the deck, let Daisy select a card at random, and then Simon would set it down on the spreadsheet. Thanks to the potions Simon had been feeding her over the years, the dog had also gained weak telekinetic powers in addition to her extended lifespan. Okay, the problem is... Simon set down a card with a picture of Madame Indexia. The master of the book. That makes sense. We're trying to understand Dad's riddle. Okay, Evangeline, shuffle the cards again. The queen nodded and did as she was told and shuffled the deck. She then held the deck towards their dog to draw again. Daisy mentally lifted one of the cards and placed it in Simon's lap. And the past is... Simon set down a card with a picture of a hooded figure next to a dead tree. Death? Oh. Probably because of the destruction of the old book and Skywind starting the new book. All right, next card, please. Again, Evangeline shuffled the deck and let Daisy draw it for Simon. Now, the present is... Simon set down a card with a picture of a blue cat hanging by his tail from a tree branch. The hanging cat? That means something is out of our control. I hope the crystal ball can elaborate. One more card, dear. Once more, Evangeline shuffled the deck and presented it for their pet to hand it to the king. Finally, the path is... Simon set the final card on the spread. It was a picture of Solarius Muberty form, holding a sword in each hand. Battle strength. That means victory. We must be getting close to the answer. Everyone join hands as we converse with the spirits of the past. Simon, Evangeline, and Daisy held hands as smoke began to cloud up inside the crystal ball. Evangeline and Daisy watched in amazement, while Simon chanted in Old Newman. His cheek marks shone brightly as an image came into view. Many years ago, Castle Dragonfly was set ablaze from an unknown source. Several servants had succumbed to the flames and even the queen had just barely made it out with the help of the royal squire. King Himmel, the fashionable, had rescued his son just as the ceiling of the prince's room collapsed. As he cradled his unconscious son in his arms, Himmel used his scepter's flight capabilities to lift them both out of the burning castle and flew to safety. Prince Skywind coughed up a puff of smoke before waking up in his father's arms. Dad, Sure, sure, it's okay, Sky. Hymnal soothed his boy as they flew closer to the ground. You're all right. You're okay. Daddy's here. Daddy's got you. Oh, Skywind! Queen Sarah cried happily as Hymnal handed him over. Hymnal, you magnificent hero! You saved our son! 
Himmel shared a kiss with his wife before mounting his scepter once more. What are you doing? There are still more people trapped inside, Himmel explained, flying back towards the castle. I've got to get them out of there. Dad, save the great book, Skywind shouted from his mother's arms. Don't worry, son. I have everything under control. Himmel shouted back before kicking the pedal above the scepter's bristles, sending him off at high speeds faster than any king could hope to go with their muberty wings. The king maneuvered around the collapsing pillars and burning tapestries, escorting multiple servants away from the scorching cobblestone and out to safety. With most of the others evacuated, Himmel flew back to his private study and propped the scepter up against the wall as he made his way towards the great book of magic. With a glare, he made his way over to the fireplace that started the fire in the first place, making sure to tiptoe around the shards of glass from the whiskey bottles he had thrown into the fireplace to increase its temperature. I won't let you take him, you bastards! King Himmel growled as he held the first great book of magic in front of the raging inferno. You can take me if you must, but my son will never be your pawn. With that, Himmel threw the great book into the fire and summoned the scepter to his hand. Once he was certain that the book was reduced to ashes, Himmel grabbed the great book of fashion and kicked the pedal on his broom, causing it to lift him off the ground and fly himself away from the fire. Simon opened his eyes as the vision faded. He and the queen shared a shocked glance. Did you see that? He asked her. I did. Evangeline nodded. King Hymnal was the one who burned down the original castle dragonfly. That mystery's gone unsolved for decades. But why? Simon pondered out loud. The vision indicated that Hymnal did it on purpose. And he did it to destroy the first great book. He mentioned something about his son, Skywind. As if he was in danger. Let's delve a little deeper. The next vision was years after King Himmel, Skywind, and Solarius were all long deceased. Eclipsine was three years into his reign as King of Muni and his marriage with Shastika Spiderbite. At the time, the king and queen were hosting the Festival of Hearts, a celebration of love and marriages. As per tradition, the royal couple shared a kiss after announcing the commencement of the festivities. However, once they were out of sight, Eclipsine angrily shoved Shastika aside and reached into his coat pocket for a bottle of mouthwash. Oh, you can't fool me, dear. Shastika boasted, even as her husband gargled the liquid in his mouth and spit it out. You couldn't have kissed me like that if you didn't mean it. Eclipsine took off his hat and gave an exaggerated bow in a mocking manner. Meet the greatest actor in all of Muni he scoffed bitterly. I'd rather kiss a python. You don't mean that. Oh, no? Eclipsine snapped his fingers and pointed at the MHC. Rombuli? Let me see one of your arms. While the magical high commission shared their king's disdain for the spiderbike family, they all grew tired of his attitude. Shastika had often complained that Eclipsine outright refused to bear a child with her, he would not even sleep in the same room as her. At last, they took action to address the problem. Your Majesty, please try to understand. Omnitraxus spoke up. You have a duty to your kingdom to sire an heir to the throne. 
And like it or not, Queen Shastika is your wife, Lekmat added. Now, it is your responsibility to carry on your family bloodline. I don't have time for this. Eclipsing rolled his eyes. I have far more important things to do today. Shastika scowled at her husband. Do you have a mistress or something? She pestered intrusively. Don't think I don't pay attention. Every other week you sneak off to Stumno's wear, and then sneak back with such a shameless smile on your face. Eclipsing smiled as he glared at Shastika. Well, if it's any consolation, even if I did have a mistress, I promise I couldn't love her half as much as I hate you. With that, the king dismissed himself to take care of his other kingly duties. After Shastika stormed off, the magical high commission stayed behind to discuss their situation with Eclipsine. So what if he and Shastika don't have kids? Rambili shrugged. Maybe she'll die and he can remarry. This isn't about who he's married to. Eclipsine is the twenty-ninth king, Hecapo growled. The only way for King Brian to return and conquer the other dimensions is for the thirtieth king of his bloodline to wield the scepter. Exactly, Omnitraxus nodded. And as the Magical High Commission, we have a responsibility to ensure that King Brian can return to rule over Muni. We have destroyed entire kingdoms to prevent anything from interfering with his plan. Simon's eyes snapped back open, unable to finish listening. Oh, my stump! He gasped. Th them, HC, they're just using my family? Evangeline got up from her seat to comfort her husband. We need to get out of here, she suggested, scanning the room. For all we know, those bastards are listening in on us as we speak. Not yet. Simon shook his head. Something doesn't add up. If King Brian only needed thirty kings to be resurrected, why didn't it happen when Festivio inherited the scepter? Let's try to get one more vision. Reluctantly, Evangeline held hands with Simon once more as another vision appeared inside the crystal ball. King Festivio threw a tremendous party in celebration of Princess Chastity's acceptance of his proposal. While the lovebirds planned their wedding, the MHC met in secret. I told you all it wouldn't work, Lekmat bleated angrily. Without the dragonfly bloodline in his veins, King Festivio will never help us resurrect King Brian. Well, what were we supposed to do? Hecapos spluttered. Let that filthy hybrid monster take up the scepter? King Brian never would have wanted Eclipsine's real son to inherit his scepter. Indeed. That's why we replaced Meteoro with Festivio in the first place. Omnitraxis agreed. We'll just have to wait. Perhaps if Festivio's bloodline produces enough heirs, it will eventually produce one magically powerful enough to do the job. Well, we better do it fast, Rambili suggested. Even without the scepter, Meteoro, or should I say Master Atrocious has been able to extend his lifespan by absorbing the souls of the more troublesome and forgettable students at his academy. If we don't find a suitable heir for the scepter, he could eventually get wise to our plan. Again, Simon opened his eyes. So that's it. That's the only reason why Brian hasn't returned. But if Meteoro ever learns about his true heritage, he might start a coup to regain the scepter. 
And if that happens, all that magic will be used to magic. He whispered to himself. That's it. That's the answer to what gets vanquished. Magic. Dad was trying to warn me. King Brian's plan depends on magic in order to work. If we can stop the magic, we can prevent him from coming back. Evangeline blinked in shock at her husband's idea. But how are we supposed to destroy magic? There's a well beneath the castle. Simon explained, closing the great book and holding it under his arm. It taps into the very realm where all magic originates from. If I can conjure up a counteracting spell, it'll negate Muni's connection to all magic. We have to hurry. If the MHC have destroyed entire kingdoms for Brian, then I have no doubt that they'll. Th they'll. Simon lost his voice as he backed away from the table with a frightened expression. Evangeline drew her sword as she realized what had frightened Simon. Will what, your majesty? Omnitraxus Prime's voice echoed from the confines of her crystal ball. The other members of the Magical High Commission slowly emerged from the darkness with a sinister gleam in their eyes. Simon and Evangeline were back to back to protect each other, with Daisy close to their feet. But while Simon and Daisy were focused on Hecapo, Rambuli, and Lekmat, Evangeline's attention shifted back to the table. The queen noticed the crystal ball rise up from the tablecloth. A feeling of dread built up in her chest as it began to glow brightly. It wasn't until the orb made a dive for the king that she sprung into action. Simon! Daisy! Look out! She shouted as she pushed her loved ones out of the orb's path. Unfortunately, doing so left herself vulnerable to the attack. Simon looked on in horror as the crystal ball had vaporized Evangeline's head. Her sword slid over to his feet, and he picked it up before he reached into his coat for a special potion. He smashed it against the ground, causing a shroud of smoke to blind his attackers as he and Daisy made a break for the door. Come on, Daisy! Keep up! He shouted before casting a freeze spell to trap the MHC inside the room. After a few minutes of running, the king and his dog spotted a light in the distance. There it is! The exit to the castle! He shouted before his fist clenched around his wife's sword. But that's not where I'm going. Evangeline sacrificed herself to save us. She knew, as well as I do, that King Brian's resurrection could threaten Edward, and so she gave me a chance to protect him. The only place I'm running is straight for the Well of Magic. After hearing her master's rousing speech, Daisy felt her tail untucked between her legs and shot upwards as she growled in agreement. With their resolve strengthened, the king and his dog rushed downstairs. Hecapo was the first to catch up to them due to his innate super speed. Using his scissors, he slashed the king's ankle, sending him tumbling down the remainder of the stairs. Daisy angrily sank her teeth into the blacksmith's arms, forcing him to stumble down. The stairs, too. Hecapo roared in pain as he tore the dog off of his arm and threw her into a nearby wall. Stupid mutt! He shouted, angrily stomping on the canine's ribcage. You worthless stray! You miserable dog! Stop! Stop it! Simon cried out. He ran towards Hecapo, only to trip on his tattered pant leg. As he fell, a crystal soared over his head 
barely grazing his scalp and encased the door to the well in a crystalline wall. No! Simon tried to channel Solarius' crystal-shattering spell through his hands, but Omnitraxis orb began circling around him, vaporizing the ground beneath her as she went. Hecapo and Rombuli watched with interest, wanting to see when their sister would finally close in on their former king and kill him. It's a shame it had to end this way, Simon, Hecapo remarked tauntingly. Of all the false kings we've been forced to serve, I hated you least. What none of the MHC noticed was that Daisy was beginning to recover from Hecapo's savage beating and limped towards Simon. Simon was horrified as he realized the truth. The brave dog was trying to follow her master's last command. Daisy, stop! Please! He begged. Don't risk your life because of me. If you try anything else, your ribs will sink deeper into your heart and kill you. Carlos never wanted this. He couldn't have known that this would happen. Besides, he told you to look after the prince, didn't he? Well, Edward's the prince, now. You have to look after him, now. Keep him safe from the commission in my stead. Omnitraxis' void circled ever closer, forcing Simon to his knees as he gave into despair. The pitbull let out a soft whimper as she gazed into Simon's eyes. Adios. Daisy. He smiled sadly. Once Omnitraxis' crystal ball reached the center, she reverted to her true form to survey the area. The MHC nodded to each other, pleased with keeping King Brian's secret safe. They were just about to leave the room when a few drops of blood fell from the ceiling. The trio looked up in shock to see their king suspended in the air. Damn it, Daisy! Simon sobbed. I told you not to waste your strength trying to save me, but you just had to show off, didn't you? As far as the magical High Commission were concerned, Daisy was just a filthy stray from earth without resolve or pride. But by its very nature, magical abilities are a manifestation of the soul, and Daisy's had acted on its own accord. Her love for Simon had compelled her to use the last of her telekinetic abilities to lift him up into the air out of reach of those who wished to harm him. But her bravery had cost her her life, and as a result, her telekinetic hold on Simon was broken. Enraged Simon unsheathed Evangeline's sword as he fell back to the floor. Omnitraxis tried to grab him, but the sword dug into the center of her skull, splitting it open. You're too slow for your own good, Prime. Simon snarled bitterly. The mistress of space-time collapsed to the floor, startling her brother and sisters. Simon tried to pull the sword out, but only broke it in half as a result. He stumbled backwards and he found himself before Daisy's lifeless body. Good girl. Simon whimpered, leaning over the dog. Good girl. Another blast of crystals prompted the king to grab the broken sword and book and flew up towards his bedroom at the tower. Disgusting. Hecapo sneered as he tossed the dog's body through the portal. Meanwhile, Simon deactivated his muberty form once he reached the tower. His injuries taking a toll on him, he slumped against a wall and slid to the floor. He couldn't understand why his father's prophecy was proving so difficult to fulfill. It had been foreseen that magic would be vanquished, and his vision with the tarot cards all but guaranteed success. 
so how could Brian's underlings have prevented him from carrying it out? It was then that Simon remembered the rest of his father's riddle. Add four more reigns to his domain, and then what gets vanquished? The prophecy couldn't be fulfilled by himself, but by his great-great-grandchild. Simon hated the idea of leaving this task in the hands of his descendants, and wished that there was something he could do to help them. His eyes lit up as he realized that there was something he could do. Taking advantage of the distance he had put between himself and the MHC, the shy king used his wife's damaged sword to slit open the tip of his finger and open the great book for one last entry. I cast this spell with blood of pure, my father's prediction, please ensure. He chanted as he drew the symbols in the great book. Let our family produce an heir, so that the dragonfly name might be repaired, and to help him keep the evil one at bay, give him a true love along the way, give her strength that will surely last, the strength of our lovers from the past, and should he need us in his fight, the former dragonflies will once more take flight. The symbols he had written in the great book began to glow with power until it closed and fell to the floor. His spell was now cemented into the scepter, and his victory was at hand. He was just about to run back downstairs when a fiery gust of wind blew in. The next thing he knew, Hecapo was standing right in front of him with a pair of interdimensional scissors stabbed into his stomach. The blacksmith pulled his weapon out from the wound and opened a portal to the plaza inside the castle just as Rambuli and Lekmat arrived. Simon fell to his knees as the traitorous commission stared him down. After coughing up blood, the king smirked at his murderers. Although they didn't realize it, he had beaten them. No matter how long it would take, his spell had been put into place, and they would face justice for their crimes. And more importantly, his beloved Evangeline as well as many others would live on in the future. So, with the last of his strength, he smiled at his murderers and breathed out one last poem. Betrayed by friends, my love is gone. I return to my father's side, but my son will live on, and thus it ends, my time has come. I regret nothing. Having heard enough, Hecapo gave Simon a firm kick to the chest, knocking him into the portal. It was fun. The citizens and delegates screamed in horror as their king landed on the ground. One week later, Prince Edward and his new wife returned from the Earth Dimension. Azure went upstairs to freshen up while Edward searched for his parents. Hey, Dad! Mom! I'm home! He called out. I brought you some of that Earth food you guys like. But no matter how much he called out, his parents wouldn't respond. He couldn't even hear Daisy coming to greet him. Dad? Mom? He repeated starting to feel a bit more nervous. Mama? Pop? Daisy? Where are you? Prince Edward! Omnitraxis gasped as she entered the room, along with her brother and sisters. Thank goodness you're safe. And Omni, where are my mom and dad? Edward asked desperately. And what happened to you? Your skull looks like it was split open. Were we attacked? I'm sorry to tell you this, your highness. Omnitraxis rested her giant hands on the prince's shoulders with a sympathetic expression. But while you and Azure were away, a rogue monster legion managed to infiltrate the magic barrier and... and they killed the king and queen. 
Edward's heart sank as he gazed down at his family scepter. The rest of the magical high commission arrived with solemn expressions. Edward rushed over to Rombili with tears in his eyes. And Rombi, tell me it's not true. I'm sorry, your highness. The crystalline being apologized. But it's true. Those filthy monsters killed your parents. Hecapos stepped forward. Forgive me for sounding crass, but with the king and queen gone, you will have to be drafted into the title of king early. Edward's grip on the scepter tightened as a righteous fury built up in his heart. All right, then, he growled. Then get me an audience with General Loveberry. I want him to hunt down and kill the monsters who did this. We'll go back to war if we have to. But I want my parents avenged. Later that night, the new king and queen of Muni were fast asleep. Edward dreamt of his younger years, crying in his sleep as memories of his parents flooded his unconscious mind. Suddenly, his sunflower cheek marks shone brightly in the dark and his eyes snapped open. Without disturbing his slumbering wife, Edward silently made his way downstairs into the library, where he opened the great book of magic to his chapter. Still in his trance, he picked up the scepter which, in his hands, had taken the form of an ink pen and began to write as a soft voice whispered in his ear. Break the bond, tear the fabric, cleave the stone, stop the magic. Edward broke from the trance and looked down at what he had just written. While he couldn't quite understand why he had written the spell, he was able to recognize its purpose. His father must have been trying to tell him something from beyond the grave. The drafted king dubbed this the whispering spell and closed the book. Edward? Azure yawned as she entered the library. What are you doing down here? I'm not sure, he admitted. Sorry, I didn't mean to wake you, baby. You didn't. She softly whispered and wrapped her arms around him. It felt like you weren't here, and I was worried. Edward felt a soft smile coming on, and he got up to kiss his new bride. I love you, he whispered. I love you too, she promised happily. So much. What hides behind the golden mask? The hand does sweetly hold a trove of cosmic secrets that never will be told.